Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany, and all without mentioning big piles of sausages. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com, and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox, who is currently learning the pitfalls of social media. So Simon, what did you yeah, do? Yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a, a learning curve for me. I mean, I, I come from the MySpace generation, mate. So like, I, I got set up with MySpace <laughs> uh, at uni and then was like really anti any other kind of social media. And then eventually I joined Facebook and I was like, this mm -hmm. is awful, but I have to be part of it. And then we started talking about this and I was like, okay, social media is going to have to be part of that process. So then I set up a Twitter account. Uh, set it up for decades from home uh, at us when it's available. And I just put in a generic birthday. I put the 1st of April, 1983, because I didn't want to put mine in. Uh, I don't know why. Protect data protection. Yeah, you've, you've got, you've, living in Germany's made you all suspicious of, of, of giving any details to anyone about anything. They are weird about it here. And this birthday, I logged in. I was like, this, is, this looks a bit stupid. So I'll change it. And then I decided to think uh, about what that birthday could be. Looked through our WhatsApp messages and realized that, yeah, the 14th of September uh, was sort of the start of us being serious about this and starting this project. So I changed the birthday to the 14th of September 2020. Uh, what, uh, Twitter notified me that you can only change the birthday a couple of times. I was like, no, no worries, boss, this is forever. Uh, did it, and then immediately the account was locked um, because you have to be over 13. <laughs> so. Uh, within 24 hours of basically launching on Twitter with all the fanfare, uh, suddenly the account is locked and your retweet can't be seen. So I have completely destroyed uh, the first wave of social media. <laughs> it was such a smooth launch up until then, you know. We had we had like the balloon drop. And I take solace in the ah. fact that we're not hosting here. Yeah, this is it. Obviously, we're not hosting here. We're available on Spotify, Google, iTunes, everything. Uh, links in bio um, but uh, yeah once the Twitter's up and running we'll start posting uh, again oh no no I'm here to publicly fire you Simon <laughs> <laughs> you sucked episode 2 the end yeah I think that's the one thing we have learned that I should not be responsible at all for the social media output of this channel uh, okay, but yeah, apologies to you for doing that, and apologies to yeah to me. Don't apologize to me. Apologize to the goddamn audience. <laughs> that was coming next. Uh, apologies, audience. I, I know my fourteen followers on Twitter are going to be mortified. So yeah, that's been my, my the last few days for me, uh, kind of learning the ropes, as you say, and realizing that uh, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. I don't know. It's Twitter, isn't it? It's like Twitter makes you stupider, surely. I think I'm actually corrupting you. It really it should be me apologising to you for, for having made you get a Twitter account. Okay, yeah, that, that, you're absolutely right. That, that, that is a dawning moment. Uh, like, yeah, absolutely. You've sent me into the poison forest. <laughs> I'm Darth Vader, aren't I? That's basically what I am. I'm, I'm just I'm, an innocent C-3PO wandering, minding my own business. Hey, wait, have you, have you even seen Star Wars? Anyway, this is a different discussion for a different time. Going from social media to, to social real-life interactions. Look how smooth my uh, my link work is. I've been practicing. Yeah, so yesterday yesterday we, we did a special ritual that I think a lot of people are doing at the moment, just before Christmas. And uh, we went to the recycling hof near us in order to rid ourselves of all the cardboard we've accumulated over the last eight months because of getting deliveries and packages and having things sent to us and things like that. So, yeah, we... 
piled the car up with with stuff and drove. This is the thing with Germany, right? And I think you'll appreciate this. Pulled up to the recycling off that my wife had checked the times and we looked at the board and it said it's open, but the gates were firmly closed. And it's one of those things where you've checked the website of the place you're going to and it's opening times. And it turns out the opening times on the website don't match the actual shop opening times. Oh, that happens all the time here. It's crazy. Yeah. It's insane, isn't it? Anyway, we found one, but it was it's great. I always like going to the Recycling Hof because everyone's really nice. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. Maybe I've got like the Recycling Hof vibe, but everyone is really just really like helpful and uh it's it's one of the few places where i feel like it's funny <laughs> it's a weird comparison but it is one of the few places where i feel like you it's a bit like newcastle where there's sort of you have the conversational back and forth and there's like a little bit of people taking the the piss out of you and it's a little sarcastic but everyone's generally quite nice and helpful well, i've had two really interesting experiences with the tip and none of them involve banter and i guess the people down in augsburg are just a bit friendlier there but uh here in franconia we actually were both i think you were there the day it happened to me and uh, we were helping a friend move and uh he was having to dump some stuff and we took it there and the guys that worked in the nuremberg uh tip uh were pretty gruff um, I don't know what was shouted at me. It could have been supportive, like, you get it, you recycle the hell of that material, but it really sounded like, you absolute idiot, what are you doing putting it in there? Um, so, yeah, it's not a place that I go to happily. I think, uh, yeah, it's it's just a, a funny a funny sort of... And it was funny going there because you see everyone, what everyone's throwing out. I mean, you'd do that at any tip, but it's just it's just sort of funny what people decide that is is no longer useful. The one in uh, Furt that I used to go to, which is the city just next to Nuremberg, dear listener, uh, was the what did they have on the wall? They had all the all the clocks that had been had been thrown away. So every single clock that had ever been thrown away, and it was just there was hundreds of them, and they were all just insane sort of variants. But it was it was really cool <laughs> thing that they had. But yeah. Yeah, a lot of people throwing away cardboard, getting ready for Christmas. I'm sure there's a lot of empty sellers out there in in Germany at the moment. Erotic article in the Weihnachtszeit, Comet zum Fest, uh, an article from spiegel.de. So yeah, sex toys in the Christmas period. Um, So yeah, second advent is here. And for a lot of people, that means opening another door, lighting another candle, and starting to think a bit more closely about the reality of Christmas. Here in Germany, um, there is something that's slightly different around the Advent time, and that is the, uh, the introduction of sex toy Advent calendars. Uh, and that's what this uh, article is looking at. And this is not a small thing. Um, 5,000 pieces, I think. Uh, 5,000 units have been sold last year and ranging from about 90 euros up to about 220. Uh, So this is not a a small-time purchase uh, of a pair of fluffy handcuffs or something. This is everything that one could possibly imagine. Um, People all over Germany who, instead of opening up and getting a little bit of chocolate, are opening up and getting, I don't know, anal beads. Um, what, what I mean, what do you start with on day one? Like <laughs> cock rings. I, I think I'm the last person who can answer <laughs> that question. I'm, I'm sort of I'm debating whether I can eject to seat myself out of the podcast at this point. It's <laughs> like Germany's like really sex positive in a, a lot of ways, and a lot of ways it's not. Um, 
but but I think it's it in a general sense I think there's a positivity about what gets your rocks off. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. That's great. Personally, I'm I'm terrified of discussing any topic that relates to sex. So, because uh, I'm a massive prude, and anyone who knows is will know that I'm sitting here just cringing. It's, it's definitely a different direction on how to handle Christmas. Um, and I mean, the thing that I find most bizarre about this, I mean, that these uh, are for sale everywhere. This isn't something you have to order online and receive in like unmarked packaging. This is something that I can go to my local pharmacy and buy off the shelf and have choices. Um, my local Rossmann, um, which is the, the German equivalent, I guess, of like super drug or boots, there are choices. I, so I can pick up my shower gel and on the end of that rail, there will be a sex toy calendar for 90 euros. It was a, only a matter of time though, wasn't it? Like you've seen... Advent calendars go from being what were essentially like for me as a kid, a chocolate advent calendar was like was a mad luxury that only the few lucky would ever have. And, and in my family, we had a lot of so we had a lot of restrictions over certainly um, food, and I think there was four of us. So giving us all sugar was probably a terrible idea. <laughs> four sons. It's like, here, four have boys, exactly, yeah. and like, here you have loads of sugar at eight o'clock in the morning and let's see what happens. Let's see what fun can occur. So there was a logic to it. So we only got the normal calendars and everyone else would tell me about their exciting Cadbury's calendars. And then when finally I got Cadbury's calendars, I was like, they're not really that exciting. Ultimately, like the idea of eating chocolate at, eight o'clock in the morning still doesn't really turn me on but at least with the Cadbury's one or a, a sort of a mark brand you are getting a good quality chocolate I remember being uh, sort of sent off to boarding school with these advent calendars that were like the cheapest chocolate possible open it up and it's like it's got that white film of like it looks like dust <laughs> this chocolate is old <laughs> this is old chocolate yeah and it's sort of crumbles in the mouth as opposed to melt. That was definitely my uh, prevailing memory uh, of Advent calendars. But yeah, my mum also gave me the ones where it's just a piece of paper. You open it up and there's a picture. And it's like... I'm happy with those. I'm fine with those. But I've watched over the last like few years. I think it started with like makeup calendars and then you had hand creams, bath bombs. And now it basically open the door and you get a Bugatti Veyron <laughs> you know like open, and I'm not one to say like our oh, commercialization of Christmas because it's that's the Christmas I grew up with was it was already commercialized but at the same time I'm kind of like I'm glad I don't live in a family where that is a necessity that anyone is thinking about oh make sure you get us the calendar with all the perfume in it or something because it is just I just it seems totally unnecessary but there you go People like what they like, I guess. Well, I mean, obviously, this Christmas is is, is very different from most uh, due to the current situation around the world. And a lot more people are going to be spending Christmas with their partners, with their loved ones. They're not going to be going home to grandma and granddad. So I guess this is the year to give each other insane sex toys that you can open in the freedom of your home without being judged by your relatives. But it's also because Germany like, is not only sex positive, but it is kind of, certainly for British people, Germany, there's two tropes about Germany that you'll see certainly in comedy is either Germany is, yeah, World War Two and Nazis or like sexy Germans. Those seem to be the two tropes sexy that you German. see a lot. Like, like if, you, if you're going to have someone with a weird sexual peccadillo or someone who's got 
who's a bit of a dominatrix or something, they'll probably be dressed in somewhat a German military uniform <laughs> or they'll be German. Like I'm sure of it. I, I feel like I feel like maybe this is just just some weird perception that I have, but I'm I'm that's a trope, I'm sure of it. You'd see it a lot in, in British uh humour, definitely. Uh, there's this perception of sexy Germans, um, or the, the more, not so much sexy, but like outwardly, like totally filthy. Like yeah, I'm, so certainly kinky so. is the word that I was running through my head. Kinky, kinky. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, pornography is is a pretty key element here, and in Britain, pornography uh, has has changed a lot um, in our lifetimes. It's gone from being sort of blacked out magazines on the top of a news agents to being online and available. I just. I just think the British are more repressed. <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting, even in, in the English language, the way that British people talk about sexual stuff. We, would, we wouldn't use the word sexual very often, or sexy even. Uh, we would say, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit blue, uh, or that's, that's a bit top shelf. Uh, sort of coded language to talk about these things instead of being candid. And I think, yeah, Obviously, Germany has a, a better relationship through concepts like FKK, uh, like nudity clubs. Um, it's a much more accepted part of culture. Um, whereas I think for most British people, if we discovered that a friend of ours was part of a nudist society in England, we would be like, what? That's, that's really a little bit strange for us. Uh, but it does speak to the fact that we're really sexually repressed as a nation. Um, and we're not good about talking about these things or embracing them. Cool. Can we change the topic now? <laughs> uh, yeah. the, I, I, I really appreciate the fact that you've stuck with this topic for nearly 20 minutes. I know this hasn't been easy for you. Yeah, uh, so yeah, respect, Nick. I'm going to cry. No, okay. <laughs> Remains in German murder case show signs of cannibalism. Berlin prosecutors say suspect in death of 44-year-old man had interest in the subject. This is an article from The Guardian and it's pretty grim, so we're going to move quite swiftly on to talking about something else. Now, um, it's, it's a grim topic, but it's interesting because when we were discussing having it as a topic on the podcast, there was something that came up about this idea of Germans... Germans being cannibals or like cannibalism being something that was a peculiarly German trait. And I was trying to work out why that was. And basically it's, I Wikipedia, I, 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 I Googled German cannibalism and got, and got, got an article uh, that was about this famous German cannibal called Armin Maivez. And basically he's the, the, patient zero as it were for this trope about germans being cannibals cannibals in in british media like if you look at the section on his wikipedia page that relates to uh cultural impact it's like films music rammstein referenced him in a song marilyn manson referenced him ozzy osbourne he was in various different comedies uh, british comedies it crowd peep show uh, he was referenced in the TV series Hannibal. He was referenced on Thirty Rock. The theater references, like he sort of exploded into the consciousness of people. It's curious because this story obviously is more more recent, but it does play into this idea that like German, like that'll always get media attention. It's like, oh, 
this German person's suspected of cannibalism uh, because it's so deeply ingrained in the media. Like, what do you think about it? What, what, what's your opinion on it? I mean, obviously, when, when we think about this, this notion of cannibalism, uh, it, we sort of think of like Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness, uh, sort of Amazonian tribes or Incan groups or whatever. And it doesn't really correlate to sort of the modern world that we exist in. And so we kind of hear it as like boogeyman stories. But then, as you say, Amoebas came out. And the thing that's sort of most shocking about it is that this isn't a guy that went out and murdered someone and ate them, which is how it fits into the normal narrative of a horror movie. But these people um, in these stories, they seem to be like connected like through social media platforms and websites and chat rooms. And this the Mivas story, he didn't get prosecuted uh, for cannibalism because it isn't a crime in Germany or it wasn't a crime in Germany at the time. And so they had to look at like different murder charges. And because it was, this guy volunteered. Um, so the guy that Mivas, like, they, they, they ate uh, the guy's penis together. And it was a shared experience. And so it's a very, very, very weird sort of legal gray area that they found themselves in as well. And I think that made it really hard to process because this wasn't an act of like violent rage or just like animalism. This was something that was really planned out. Like the guy was invited and they had dinner together. They got drunk together and then it escalated in the way that it did. Well, it's another one of those sex tropes, isn't it? It's another one of those <laughs> like the Germans have weird sexual fetishes. And and also the fact that what happened in 2001, they met on the internet and it was such a weird story anyway. You can see all these like convergent points of why the media would find this excessively interesting. It's one of those, again, one of the, like the Germans are sexy trope from the story before. It just hits a nerve, certainly I think for British people, but it's like just one story. Mm -hmm. It's just one story and one incident. But the thing that it made me think about is how cannibalism... It must it must have happened in England. It has to have just because of the nature of it. Definitely, definitely happened in Scotland. I know there's a famous case in Scotland oh, really? of a, a family of cannibals who lived during the reign of James the First of of England and Scotland, early 1600s. And the they used to like this horrendous story. Like they're terrifying. It's, I read it is in like one of them ghost stories for kids, and it was they're called the the Bean Family. And they lived in the caves and they would rob passing merchants and eat them, basically. All the nightmares you could think of, proper hills with eyes. But I can, in a way, as, as, as messed up as it is, the hills of eyes and that, I can kind of understand because at that point in history, providing your own meat would have been challenging. <laughs> You'd had to go out and hunt, find the stag, slaughter it, or do all that stuff. Whereas a human, you can just, yeah, walk into my kitchen, bonk. And then, yeah, dinner is served, I guess. So I, I, I am more sympathetic to the, the Bean family, weirdly. Oh, none of, <laughs> none, of this, none of this is filling me with sympathy. I remember being horrified as a kid, being so, like, I read it, that story so many times, and it was ingrained into my brain, this sort of terrifying idea that there were these people out there who, who might do that. But I think it's, it, again, it's, you, it's the horror story trope that, that I'm basically walking around going, oh, yeah, Germans and cannibalism, that's the thing, that is the thing. <laughs> And it's, again, it really just comes down to this one story, a rather bizarre story. It's a, it's a sort of weird sort of human thing where, like, if we see the story in the press, we're like, oh, that's something that exists. And I might want to eat this guy's <laughs> well, 
you wouldn't have thought of it on your own, maybe. But once you've read about it, and you're like, okay, a little bit of garlic, a <laughs> little bit of oil, maybe, maybe. Mm, grim. <laughs> Panzer Spezial Fahrzeuge for Bayerische Polizei. Uh, this is a story from, yeah, Bayerische Rundfunk. I saw it originally as a tweet from the Mittelfranken Polizei, and it is the unveiling of two basically military vehicles with machine gun turrets on top that have been acquired by the police in Mittelfranken to from the article, at least, protect against terrorists, which seems a little bit I don't know. I can't say excessive because I'm not a policeman, but it does seem like driving around with machine gun turrets doesn't seem like what you would really need to police the population of a city like Nuremberg or the Middle Frank. The, the subhead gives us, uh, in the subheadline, we get the acute and gefahr situationen, so like seriously dangerous situations. So they're painting it. Obviously, terrorism hasn't really had much of an issue so far in, in Mittelfranken, but yeah, pre prepared is prepared. Well, that's what I mean, though. Like, it's like if I saw that in the street, I'd be I'd be really angry as well as really worried. Like, it's a it is essentially a military vehicle with a machine. It's like a machine gun turret. Uh, it's designed for war zones and it's not designed for the streets of a medieval walled city. Um, but this is going to be used, I, I imagine, for demonstrations. I can imagine this being parked outside the Hauptbahnhof, the main train station, uh, just to send a signal. The police are here and they're militarized. I'm just looking at the picture of the vehicle and it's got, you know, on Land Rovers when they go through rivers and stuff, they've got one of those ex like big exhausts that sticks out the top so that the exhaust doesn't get flooded. It's got one of those and I've walked through this, the streets of Nuremberg and I'm kind of like, at what point are you worried about that you're going to have to drive this military vehicle through, through a flood plane? Are you going to drive it through the Dudson Tyke, or like what? What the like? What are your plans? For I mean, there's options. You could drive it down the Pegnitz, drive it down the Regnitz through the Dudson Tyke. I think the first thing that was most like shocking about it is the way it was presented, and you had this tweet where you had the I think it's the chief of the police is flanked by these vehicles, and then you look at the it just it just seemed like all the worst aspects that German people complain about American police now forces. obviously. When we think about the police uh, in Germany, we do we kind of have different levels of it. The average policeman that you meet in the streets in Germany, in my experience, is quite friendly um, and quite willing to engage. And then you have like the the Bavarian sort of riot squad are really famous in the whole of Germany for being some of the toughest. It, it just seems it just seems very almost like un-German, if I can say that. It just seems very un-German to see a police chief flanked by two military vehicles. It just felt like a really bad image to put out there. I don't know if they really need to have those vehicles. I'm no expert. I lived in the, the I lived in the city, but I don't know. But it just seems like really excessive. Um, I mean, I lived in America for three years uh, in, in Portland, Oregon, a city that has problems and has active demonstration. Obviously, the situation since I left uh, has got worse in that terms. But in my three years in Portland, Oregon, I was never faced with a military vehicle like this. So yeah, it's, it's a very worrying trend. Um, I mean, talking about the picture again, I think you've, you've made a really good point there because the police chief is there wearing his normal Bavarian police officer's outfit and the two guys in the vehicle are dressed in military outfits. Um, Colour is an important thing with the German police. They've, they've been slowly transitioning um, from green to blue. 
Uh, and this is happening from, I think, from north to south as to where this transition is. So occasionally you see an older police car and it's got green markings and the new ones have blue. So you can sort of see how, how up to date your local police force is. But this thing is painted in olive green. Uh, with Polizei stenciled in black. Oh, I think I think you're not looking at the Polizei stencil. You're looking at the the guy in the military fatigues who's sitting at a gun turret. That's the bit that would catch my attention. I, that's, I'm looking at the gun turret. That's absolutely it. Uh, I think if I had this vehicle without the, the the turret on top, I'd be like, okay, that's just an armored vehicle that has multiple uses. But the gun um, is an issue for me. It's all checks and balances, though, isn't it? It's it's what ultimately what it is. It's like there's no perfect system. The police are sort of there to try and maintain order essentially, but they're they're people and they've got their own political values. And as we've seen, as we've seen with a lot of stories about right wing infiltration of the military and the police, like there's there's a lot of people making decisions who probably possibly shouldn't be making those decisions and. You've just got to wonder when you're giving kit out like this, just what's the what's what's the the knock on effect of sticking a policeman in a vehicle like that? What what does that do to your psyche? You know, what does that do to your attitude to to the people you're policing? I think it's difficult for especially for us uh, as, as British people coming to Germany, especially to to Nuremberg and Augsburg and Bavaria. For me, I've never I've seen very limited violence in the time that I've lived here. I've seen a couple of dust ups in the street, a few scuffles but nothing compared to what I saw growing up in England and going to university in Cardiff. It's the social violence you see on a Friday and Saturday night isn't, isn't a big issue, but of course there's, there's, there's crimes being committed. And... Um, and it wasn't until I met a policeman um, in a sort of friendly environment in a pub and I said to him, like, like, it must be pretty good being a policeman here. Like, as far as I know, crime isn't that serious. And he's like, yeah, you have no idea. Like, it's not published, it's not in the press. But this happened there, this happened there, this happened there. And that was really eye-opening that the city I live in actually does have a sort of a bit of an underbelly. It, it reflects my naivety uh, coming here as a foreigner and just being like, oh, it's so beautiful, it's fairy tales. Um, but yeah, it's a city of half a million people that has the same problems that, that any European city of half a million people would have. Uh, yeah. Im Allgäu steht jetzt ein neuer Holzpenis. Uh, so in the Allgäu region, there is a new wooden cock. Uh, so this is from uh, travelbook.de uh, and they are keeping us up to date with the latest um, in wooden penis stories. This is the third twist uh, since we started following this story. So in uh, Grunten in the Allgäu, um, there was a penis. And it, it, was, it was pretty big. It was two meters tall or seven foot. And the locals weren't really sure about the sort of the provenance of it. Was it just sort of kids messing around? One guy uh, in the local community, I think he ran the pub there, suggested that maybe that it was sort of organically carved by cows rubbing themselves up against a piece of wood. Uh, anyone that sees the pictures of it, We'll realise that's pretty unlikely. It is beautifully carved. It's very specific, right? It's a very specifically carved piece of wood. It was. And that penis obviously upset a few people because eventually it did disappear. It was removed. Uh, and so then the local community were up in arms because suddenly their local tourist attraction uh, was no more. And it seems that somebody has taken uh, the situation very seriously because now 
we have another new penis. Uh, this one uh, is uh, now being described as a, a, a cultural monument uh, <laughs> locally. I don't think it's been got any official recognition so far. But they've decided that bigger is better and that bigger is harder to remove. So this new one, it, it looks in this image like it's about four meters tall, uh, a very proud pair of testicles. Uh, and it's so large that it's actually being supported by four beams. Uh, so this is a, a, a monster uh, Holtz penis uh, on the mountains. Yeah, so it does feel like for, for me protesting that I was a prude. We seem to have a lot of oddly sexualized news stories. Even even the the military story from before was essentially a discussion about penis penis uh, <laughs> sizes. You know it, it like. Every story, that's like you basically trapped me. This is what it is. It's like every story is going to be about sex, and we're going to see if Nick can handle it. Like I'm beginning to lose my mind, and now we're talking about like a giant wooden penis on a mountain. The, the reason, the reason I said we should do this story was exactly what you said before, which was it's kind of like that story with the monoliths appearing in Utah and somewhere else. It's some art installation that has got some social media behind mm -hmm. it and it's seemed to be everywhere for a for a split second like I, I guess it's just a highlight of of how bored people are in lockdown but that the first one person puts up a mysterious wooden penis on this mountain and then <clears throat> it gets taken down mysteriously and then mysteriously a suddenly a, a, a second one has been put up there it's certainly something i don't know what it is but it's certainly <laughs> something Connecting to the monuments in Utah and uh, was the other one in Romania. I think a lot of people, when we saw those images, we were like, oh my God, what is that? And I think a lot of people were like, it's aliens. It's always fucking uh, aliens. And that connection. <laughs> yeah. But that dynamic was, that narrative was really easy to sell. Whereas if I show you uh, the image of this, this penis on top of a mountain, nobody's going to go, it's intelligent life from another planet. And I think that makes it a sort of a better story to deal with. We know that there is just some, some mischief afoot uh, and there's no threat to our, our, our civilizations. I do like your point that no one would believe it was aliens. Like, I think that's a really valid point. Like, if, if there was a crop circle and it was the shape of a penis, would people be like, oh, it's aliens? Or would they be, oh, it's, oh, it's Larry from down the road. He's got drunk and made a crop circle again, you know, is it? That's a, there's a really good point. I think a crop circle in any other shape would be met with aliens. As but, soon as it's phallic, it becomes yeah. very human. Yeah, really. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great reason to climb a mountain. If, if I lived in the Algoy, I'm sure I'd, I'd find time for these kinds of things. It is a beautifully uh, sort of rural uh, atmosphere where people do have time for this kind of frivolity. I'm going to ask your wife if you've taken any interesting trips, maybe for about <laughs> 12 hours. <laughs> with a chainsaw. <laughs> Is he is he bought a chainsaw recently? Has he? Oh, okay, interesting, interesting. Let's be honest. If I were to buy a chainsaw, it'd only be so I can really pull off this lumberjack look I've been working on for the last five years. Ah, it would make the beard sort of necessary, wouldn't it? You'd have to get a lot yeah. more, a lot more plaid, a lot more plaid. I've got a lot of plaid. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> well, hang on, hang on. Are you building a case in the defence or in the prosecution here? Are you? You got plaid. You've got a beard. I'm beginning to suspect you more and more at this point. And I, I am childish enough to have such an affinity for penises as well. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I do tick all the boxes uh, for a possible suspect. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, thank you again for listening to Decades From Home. We really, really appreciate you taking the time to download the podcast or just listen to us on the website. Uh, Obviously, we're a new podcast, so if you like us, tell a friend, rate us on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. It'd be really good to hear from you. If you have something to tell us or questions, you can tweet Simon on at Decades From Home. That's, of course, when Twitter deigns to unblock his account. And you can tweet me at 40% German. Also, take a look at uh, 40percentgerman.com. We're in the process of revamping the site and we're adding new content weekly. Uh, So all that's left to say is thanks again and talk to you all next week.